So those of you that are married, how many of you remember the first time you actually interacted with your spouse? So I remember the first time that Mindy and I actually interacted. So I was uh, a teacher, and Mindy was subbing for her friend who led the after-school care program at the school I was teaching at. And so she knew who I was, and I knew who she was because there were a ton of people trying to set us up. And so that week, I was getting a lot of pressure, I mean, encouragement to go and make sort of my first move. Hey, you got to go talk to this girl. There she is. She's in the building. There's no excuse, man. And so after a few days of of that pressure, uh, I decided that I would time our leaving the building at the same time, you know, all smooth and not obvious at all. Uh, So we, we were leaving the building at the same time. Here was my moment. Here was my opportunity to talk to her. Here's my opportunity to make my first impression. And I turned to her, and this is the words that came out of my mouth. Wow, those kids can be pretty rowdy, can't they? And she looked at me and she said, yep, and kept on walking to her car. (laughs) Not my finest moment. It it is a wonder we ever got married. Uh, You know that movie Hitch with Will Smith? I I really could have used Hitch's advice in that moment. Uh, But I wonder how many of you have ever experienced those moments that feel just a little bit too big that you don't have the words. Uh, perhaps a circumstance hits you, perhaps there's uh, some, some sort of challenge that comes your way, and you just don't have the words. And because you don't have the words, it's hard to even act. Look, you want to say something, you, you want to do something, but the moment is just too big. The circumstance feels a little bit too overwhelming. Maybe the pain feels a little bit too strong and the words fail. And because words fail, your actions fall flat. So last week, we looked at how gospel hope anchors our hearts, sustains our hearts, acts as a counterweight in our heart to the sorrow and the suffering and the challenges and the pains that can threaten to weigh us down. But we also looked at what it means to walk in patience. And to walk in patience means that we're active. We don't retreat from pain. We don't retreat from our suffering. We don't disengage from dealing with our sin. Rather, we engage those things because we have hope. And look, I think most of us can listen to a message that we can read God's word and we can say yes and amen to that. We want to live in hopeful patience. But here's my fear. My fear is, because I know this exists in my heart and I know it exists in our hearts, My fear is that we can say yes and amen to living by hopeful patience, but we live with this expectation. Living in hope means I don't have to live in weakness. Like, sure, things aren't perfect. Sure, there's going to be some challenges, but nothing too big for me. Nothing that's going to lead to such a big moment where I don't know how to speak, I don't know how to act. Yeah, things may not be exactly how I want them to be, and yeah, challenges are going to come, but I want to believe I'm always going to rise to the occasion. I'm always going to be able to step in and I'm going to have enough wisdom. I'm going to have enough knowledge. I'm going to have enough strength, enough power, enough control, enough uh, ability to sustain that, hey, everything is going to work out. I want the growth trajectory to be constantly moving forward. God's at work in my life. God's at work in the other people's lives. We're, as a church, going to be on mission and we're going to go and we're going to proclaim the gospel and work for good in our city and everything is going to work out exactly as we hope. We know that is not how life works, right? We recognize that that expectation is not realistic, that life is too big, too full of moments that are too big, that there is circumstances too big for our control. There's pain too great for us to just be able to stand in and sustain on our own. We're too broken. 
other people are too broken, this world is too broken for us to live in self-sufficiency. But we still hold on to this expectation. We still want to believe we are all sufficient. Even when we sort of hat tip God's power and the hope that we have in the gospel, we still live in this expectation of self-sufficiency. We don't want hope to mean that we have to live in weakness. We want hope, rather, to validate our self-sufficiency. And then here's what happens when our expectations are shattered. And we've been saying this week after week as we've been reflecting on this theme. We often run when our expectations are shattered, when things are too hard, we withdraw. We step back from engaging our own junk. We step back from engaging the junk of others that God, people God has called us to love and to serve and to sacrifice for. We step back from proclaiming the gospel and working for good in our world. We retreat. Or we can retreat to things like comfort, or we'll run to people who are sort of validate and we can live in an echo chamber and maybe coddle us emotionally. Or we run to anger and cynicism. But the fact of the matter is, is that when our self-sufficiency is challenged, when weakness, our weakness is right in front of us, we don't want to look at it. We don't want to acknowledge it. We want to run from it. Look, I know I've been beating this drum over the past several weeks. I know I've been hitting this theme regularly. But the reason that I think this is important, the reason this keeps coming back up is, one, the Lord has been rocking my world regarding this theme of how we sort of set expectations and, and are we going to hang in when things are difficult and challenging and painful? And I've had enough conversations with you all over the past several weeks and months to know the Lord is lighting you up as well on this and dealing with us all as a church on this. And this season, I mean, come on. I mean, it is very easy to see. It's very easy to feel. I mean, consider the past several weeks. The, the problems that have sort of been thrown in our face, the, the, the reality of some of the deep brokenness in our society, and we see it on the news and social media, it can feel very overwhelming right now to where it's like, I don't even know what to say. I don't even know what to do. Or if we take it back the past several months, the past several months have shown us that our wisdom is limited. People think they know what's going to happen. People think they know what's going on. But our weakness as humans is all over the place. Our lack of control is all over the place. So we're in a very unique, maybe particularly intense season where our weakness is right up in front of us, let alone the challenges you're facing in your normal everyday life, <laughs> the challenges you're facing in your marriage and in your parenting and in your home, the challenges you're facing in your relationships, having to face your own junk, having to love and serve other people. I know that we're kind of living with this heightened sense, and so I think we, we need to lean in and listen. What is the Lord doing? What is the Lord saying to us? What is the Lord wanting to reveal? I think what he's pushing on, I think what he's trying to dismantle and deconstruct is our self-sufficiency and the ways we can baptize our self-sufficiency with gospel hope. That, that we can mistake the power of the Spirit in our lives with our own self-sufficiency, our own strength. And so the Lord wants to continue to deconstruct this. He, he, this may be painful, this may be hard, this may be challenging, but the Lord is saying is, hey, don't shut down. D don't stop listening. Don't stop leaning in. Don't retreat. Don't grow insensitive to this. Rather, recognize the expectation and allow the Lord to lead us into actual power and actual strength and actual wisdom.
So here is what the particular verses we're going to look at. We're going to look at verses 26 and 27 for Romans 8. Here's what they tell us. First, there's an expectation here. First, there's an expectation that says this. Hey, living in gospel hope doesn't mean that you are self-sufficient. Living in gospel hope doesn't mean the Lord has just said, hey, here's some hope, now go live by your own sufficiency. Look, God fully knows. God is purposeful in calling us to live in gospel hope and gospel patience where we engage sin and brokenness in ourselves and sin and brokenness in others in our world. He calls us to that fully knowing that the moments are going to be too big for us, the circumstances are going to be too challenging, too out of control, and the pain at times too great for us to handle on our own. But what verses 26 and 27 also tell us is we have great hope in this. And there's two particular points that I want to highlight from these verses, two pieces of good news for us. The first, as we see in verse 26, is that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Verse 26 says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Look, are you weak? Do you feel weak? Do you feel moments are too big, circumstances too out of control? Do you feel like your wisdom is too little, your knowledge too little, your strength too feeble? Like if you're weak, hey, good news for you this morning. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit helps us in this season of feeling overwhelmed, in this season of moments that are too big, in this season of groaning. The Spirit helps us. He doesn't say, hey, you have a lot of hope for tomorrow, go do your best. No, he helps us. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. And so the question for us is this, do we want the Spirit's help? Do we honestly want the Spirit's help? Because if we want the Spirit's help, this is what this means. We have to be okay with our weakness. We have to, be, we have to come to grips with the fact that we're weak. We have to be okay with that. But if we're honest, we're not. We're not okay that we're weak. We're not okay that we're limited. Look, we like to hang in that place of where we're comfortable in our own competency, in our own control. We love it when we think we have enough knowledge and enough wisdom and enough strength and enough fortitude on our own. We love to live there. When I think I'm strong enough, then I'm good. When I think I'm self-sufficient, then I think I have strength and power. But here's what God's word is calling into us this morning. Here's where it's challenging us. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. And in fact, as the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 12, it's only in weakness that we actually experience strength. Like if you want real strength, you have got to be okay with your weakness because it's only in your weakness that you'll experience strength. So you don't have to turn over to 2 Corinthians 12. I'm going to put the passage on the, on the, the screen. But just to set a little context, the Apostle Paul in, chapter, in 2 Corinthians 12 is talking about this messenger of Satan this messenger that was given to him so that he wouldn't be conceited, so he would be humble. We don't know exactly what it is. I mean, what a statement. Man, so I wouldn't be puffed up because of all the blessing that God has given me, all the revelation that I have. Here's this messenger of Satan, and he's frustrating me over and over and over and over again. And we see in verses 8 through 10 how the apostle Paul with it. It says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see how the Apostle Paul dealt with this? Like he prayed, Lord, could you please take this thorn from me? And he prayed over and over again. Perfectly natural. When, when there are challenges, when there are pains, when there are moments too big, pains too great, we pray, Lord, take this from me. Uh, this weakness feels too much. But rather than taking the weakness from him, God taught him something. God showed him something profound and deep. This is what the Apostle Paul learned, and this is what you and I need to grab hold of. Look, if you are in Christ... Your weaknesses don't overthrow victory. If you are living by the Spirit, if you are in the Spirit, then your weaknesses aren't overwhelming you. They're rather a pathway to actual strength. Look, in our prideful, if I can say even sort of American way of looking at things, self-sufficiency, self-reliance, and that is built into our DNA. And so any sign of weakness, we think that is a threat, something that we need to move away from and get rid of. God is saying no. What, what the Apostle Paul learned and what we need to learn is no. Weaknesses aren't something to run from. Rather, weaknesses are the very means by which God's power is going to be put on display in your life. Weaknesses are the very place where you're going to experience the power of God in such great and profound ways that the Apostle Paul can actually say, I boast in my weaknesses. I don't run from them. I celebrate them. So counterintuitive. And look, when he says, I boast in my weakness, it doesn't mean that the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, let's all just be a bunch of spiritual masochists that say, oh, look at all the suffering I'm going through. The suffering is great. Give me some more suffering. I suffer more than you, so I'm better than you. No. The point is not the suffering itself. The point, rather, the point of boasting is boasting in the power of Christ at work in us. It's boasting in this fact that we know at the place of our weakness, the power of God is going to be more clearly put on display. And we're, we know that in our weakness, his power is going to be made perfect, more complete in our lives. So those of you that are fans of college basketball and maybe NBA will we'll be familiar with the name Brad Stevens. So Brad Stevens is the coach of the Boston Celtics, but before he was the coach of the Boston Celtics, he coached Butler University's men's basketball team. Butler is a liberal arts school in Indianapolis, about 4,500 students, so not a very big school. Not a basketball powerhouse like Duke or North Carolina or Kansas or Michigan State. But in 2010 and 2011, Brad Stevens led his team as the coach to back-to-back -back national championship appearances. They lost both games, but they were hard fought. And here, here's the reality about Butler. They had some very good players, yeah, but they did not have the same caliber of players of the teams they beat. Their players were far weaker, their program far weaker than a lot of the programs that they beat. And so in the midst of that success, what came to the forefront? When, when weaker players had success, what came to the forefront? Coaching. The, the, the uh, power of Brad Stevens coaching. The fact that he could take weaker players and get them that far showed just how great of a coach he is. And that's why Boston hired him. And so when weakness has success, it highlights the power behind it. The power of his coaching was more fully put on display. 
And the power of his coaching was also made perfect, more complete. Look, his players recognize we're not as talented as those other teams. And so if we are going to win, we need to listen to our coach. We need to rely on our coach's wisdom and our coach's teaching and instruction and his strategy. And because they recognize their own limitations, they let their coach's ability have its work in them. This is what it means to boast in your weakness. It means to see, hey, look, the place where I am weak, God's power is going to be more clearly seen, and that is worth celebrating. That is something that I can boast in because I know the glory of my God is going to be put on display in my life. I don't have to wonder where it's going to happen. I can look, hey, where am I weak? There's where his power is going to be put on display. And also, as we are humble, as we recognize we're weak and limited, as we stop living in self-sufficiency, as we start to depend upon the spirit and God's power and God's wisdom and God's strength, what happens? That power is more perfect in our lives, more complete. It takes hold deeper. It transforms us more fully. This is what it means to boast in our weaknesses. This is what it means, church, that we don't have to fear our weaknesses. Look at the place of your greatest weakness is the place where God's power is most going to be put on display and most made perfect in your life. Look, as we recognize that we are weak, that is when we're going to actually walk a path of strength. So this question, how many of us actually boast in our weaknesses rather than trying to hide them? And too often we want to hide our weaknesses. We want to stuff them. We want to try to get rid of them rather than boasting and seeing that this is where God's power is going to be. How many of us, rather than being content, as Paul said, in our weakness, meaning we are patient with Christ's power in our life in the process, and we let those weaknesses have their way for his sake, rather than being angsty about them and trying to rush through to get rid of them. Could it be this? Could it be the reason we fail to see the power of God in our lives and experience the power of God in our lives? It's because we're so quick to get rid of our weaknesses. Or we're so quick to try to compensate for our weaknesses. Or we're so quick to say, hey, I need more knowledge. I need more power. I need more control. I need more resources. I need to get rid of these weaknesses rather than saying, hey, here's the place I can be dependent. Here's the place where I can experience the power of God. Church, at the place of your greatest weakness is the place God's power is going to be most put on display and most made perfect in your life. So the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The second point, the Spirit also, he prays for us. Look, there are many ways that the Spirit helps us in our weakness, but the Apostle Paul highlights a particular way in verses 26 and 27. For we do not know what to pray as for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Look, often connected to our weakness is our inability to pray. We don't know what to say. We don't know what to pray. We can feel sort of stuck. And so when the moments that are too big for us, the circumstances that are out of control, the pain that feels too big, and we, we come to this place where we don't have the words and we don't know what to do, hey, look, that's okay. It's called being human. We're limited. 
We don't have to try to compensate for that and try to fix that and act as something wrong with coming to the end of ourselves and not having words and not knowing what to do. That's okay. But here's what's not okay. Here's the problem. It's when we come to that place and what ends up in response to that, uncomfortable, feeling uncomfortable and feeling limited, when we start to back away. When we start to back away from dealing with our own junk and dealing with our own sin and suffering, we start backing away from relationships and from loving and serving others. When we start backing away from our call to proclaim the gospel, when we start retreating from God himself, when we stop pursuing intimacy with the Lord, when we stop going to his word and going to prayer, when God starts to feel distant, it's not okay when, our limita- when we run up against that limitation and we're all of a sudden find ourselves locked up spiritually. Like that is not the proper response. That is not what has to happen. Rather, we can face our limitation and still experience power, greater power than anything we could do on our own. And so what moves us? What what moves us from moving forward and not getting locked up spiritually? Well, what if I told you that when your words fail, there are greater words being spoken for you? What if I told you when your words fail, when your ability stops and you feel like you shut down, that there are greater words being spoken for you that is affecting God's power in your life. So imagine this scenario. Let's say you had to give a speech. And and this speech was for the purpose of rousing people to action. You had to give a speech so that there's a group of people and they're like, hey, we need to go do something. We need to accomplish change. And so I need to inspire people. I need to empower people. I need to get people moving. And you think about that moment and you're like, this is too much for me. No way. And so you're so overwhelmed with the moment that you don't have the words and you're actually paralyzed. Rather than being motivated, rather than jumping in on mission, you feel paralyzed. But then imagine in that moment, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. steps up and says, hey, I'll speak for you. And he gets up and he speaks eloquent words that you could never come up with. And he speaks with a power that you could never speak with. And so from that, the people are roused to action. The people are like, yes, let's go do this thing. And you yourself are inspired. You went from being locked up because the moment was too big to being inspired and to want to move forward and want to live on mission because of someone else's words for you. This is what it means. Church, to to find ourselves in that place of limitation, when words, are, when words escape us, when we don't know how to act, and then to hear greater words spoken for us, words that are far greater than anything we could speak, words that are far more powerful than anything we could ever affect. And in that, we are empowered ourselves. Like this is what it means that the Spirit prays for us. This is the beautiful hope of the, in the gospel that the Spirit is praying for us, interceding for us. It says in verses 26 and 27, the Holy Spirit himself, the third person of the Trinity, is praying for you and praying for you with groans too deep for words. In the Greek, it's literally unheard groans. What does that mean? No one really knows. <laughs> There's a lot of different debates about what it could mean, but most scholars say this. It means that 
whatever the Holy Spirit is praying is so profound and so deep and so powerful and carries such an intensity that all we would ever experience it as is groans, unintelligible, beyond our comprehension. This speaks, the, the Holy Spirit isn't just kind of saying, hey God, be with them, help them out. God, God can, you, can you throw a little grace their way? No, he is praying with such deep and profound words, such truth, such love, such intensity, that it comes out in groans too deep for any language that humans could, can conceive of. That is how the Holy Spirit is praying for you, with that kind of power, with that kind of love, with that kind of intensity, and he's doing it for you. And the beauty of this is that when the Spirit prays, he prays according to the will of God. It says that he who searches hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, meaning God the Father knows exactly what the Holy Spirit is saying, exactly what's on the mind of the Spirit, and the Spirit prays according to the will of God because the Spirit knows the will of God the Father because triune God, perfectly in union, one will. And so this is perfect praying. Like the Holy Spirit never has to say, hey, Father, if it's your will, would you do this? No, he knows exactly what the will of God is, and he prays for you according to that perfect will in your life. Like, look, you may struggle. You may struggle to think that the Lord hears you. You may struggle to find the right words in prayer, and that may lock you up and shut you down and cause you to retreat. You may be feeling the heaviness of your weakness right now, but can I encourage you with this? The Spirit is praying for you with a power beyond any power you could ever have. He is praying for you because he wants you to experience the power of God. He wants you to be transformed. He wants the grace of God to have its perfect work in your life. He wants you to experience the love of God. He is praying for you. And so if, hey, if you don't have faith in your own words... Have faith in the Spirit. If you are feeling locked up and you don't know what to do and you don't have the words to get you unstuck, don't put your hope in your own words. Put your hope in the words the Spirit is praying for you. If you're feeling weak, that's okay. Because a greater power is working in you. Greater words are being spoken for you. This is what it means that the good news of the Spirit prays for us. It means that there's a greater power at work in us even when we're weak. It means that when we, when we run into our limitation, we need not be locked up spiritually. It means this, that the moments that are too big for us, the moments that feel too overwhelming, the pain that feels too big, the circumstances where you don't have wisdom, you don't have knowledge, you don't know what to do, hey, look, they're not too big for the Spirit. He knows exactly what to pray in the moment. He knows exactly how to pray for you in that moment where you feel overwhelmed in your marriage, where you feel overwhelmed in your parenting, where you feel overwhelmed with your job and the work that you have to do. When the moments seem too big in those, the Spirit is praying exactly what needs to be prayed for you. His power is perfectly at work for you. He's helping you in your weakness. And because of this, look, we need not run from the Lord. 
when we are faced with our weakness, we need not be locked up spiritually. We can run to the Lord. We can run in desperation. We can run in weakness. We can run when we don't have words, but we can keep running to God. And we know that his power is at work in us. Church, this is good news for us. Because the Spirit is praying for you, you have all the more reason to run to the Lord. Because the Spirit is praying more powerful words, more perfect words, your weakness need not shut you down. Your lack of words not keep you from going to the Lord and being hung up spiritually. Look, Satan wants to take those moments that are too big, those circumstances that feel out of control, that pain that feels too great. He wants to take that and he wants to shut you down. He wants you to, get to, he wants you to retreat from your pain and from your sin and the work that God's doing in your life. And he wants you to retreat from other people. He wants you to retreat from the world. He doesn't want you to live in patient hope. But the good news for us in all of this, the good news for us in this moment, in this moment where we feel overwhelmed by the circumstances of life, the good news of the, of the gospel is that when we're in Christ, the Spirit prays for us. When our words fail, the Spirit prays for us so we can keep running to that source of life and joy and peace and hope. When our words fail, because the Spirit is praying for us, we can have confidence that God is always at work. No matter how weak and broken we are, the power of God in our lives, the power of God being put on display, the power of God being perfected. This is good news for us this morning. Amen? So let us trust in the power of the Spirit. Let us run to His help, and let us rejoice in this truth. He is praying for us, church. Let's pray.